This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. So today we are continuing um, our series on how to approach children when you're in recovery. Mm-hmm. And we're, bra- in yep, we're breaking it out into uh, ages and developmental phases. Mm-hmm. And so today we're going to be covering like 10, the kind of the tween years to early teen. So 10, 11 to about 13, 14. Yeah. And before we launch into that, I, I just want to say, I think I said this in the last episode, this is our last recording of 2018. Yes. And I feel like it's been Christmas already. We've heard from two of our listeners um, this week. Uh-huh. And um, we don't get a lot of engagement from you guys, but we love it, and we will engage back. Yes, we um, absolutely will. Yeah, so we, we really like hearing from you. We're so grateful that you're listening, and um, we hope it's been helpful this year. And we're already starting to put together our uh, schedule for 2019. Mm-hmm. But if you have topics you'd like us to cover, let us know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just a kind of a preview um, in 2019, we're going to be, it'll probably turn into a series on socially acceptable addictions. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, Which was a request from a listener. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be good. Um, we have a, an expert on a video game addiction lined up for, I think late January. Okay. Um, which will be great. And then we're also pouring over. Um, requests we've had for interviews and other people that we're lining up to get on the show. So it'll be exciting. It's going to be fun. All right. So 10 year olds to 12, 13, 13, 14, 14 I would yeah. say. Yeah. I think there's kind of a, a change from like 14, like 15 and above. We'll do a different one and then we'll get into adult children. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about this age because it's an awkward age all around. I was just going to say, I just as you were talking about the, the ages I had these memories come flooding back and um if Britney Spears were around for me at this age I would have thought I'm not a girl not yet a woman like Mm -hmm. it really is this really in between you're not Mm -hmm. really a kid anymore you're not a teenager Mm -hmm. um you all of a sudden I I saw with my kids right they went from being very comfortable in their body and flipping and moving mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they're like how does this thing work no yeah like your your features grow faster Mm -hmm. than your body has so you have all these ginormous body parts on this still pretty small frame um I remember in those years I I packed on a lot of weight getting ready for a growth spurt Mm -hmm. my kids did too Mm -hmm. and I that hadn't been I hadn't been used to that either and in our society that's devastating right like we very much focus on thinness yeah yeah I also remember it was my 10th birthday. I have really vivid memories around this. And the the two gifts I remember from my parents, I got a green flannel shirt and I got a Walkman with a tape that was the best of banjo. And I remember getting that. And um, I think I even asked my parents, like, why banjo music? And they're like, we thought you would like it. And I remember thinking, like, well, I don't know what I like. And I I guess it's this. So I remember (laughs) walking around on my birthday in my green flannel shirt, listening to the best of banjo tape, thinking, well, this is me now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and I've been given a new identity. <laughs> right. And I, and I really think at um, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 is where kids really start to try on or they start to think about who am I and what am I presenting uh-huh. to the world. 
Yes. Um, before that, I think it's pretty reflexive. It's pretty authentic. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot more into kind of that managed image with mm-hmm. kids this age. Um, the other thing I would say is I think uh, relationships get more complex, right? Not just the relationship our kids have with themselves mm-hmm. and their body, uh, but peer relationships. I, I remember when my youngest um, got out of this stage and turned 15, right? My husband and I were like, we're done. We made it through that ye- those years with all four children. We'll never have to do it again. Uh-huh. And I just, you know, hope my grandkids thinks of like the world has changed. Right, right. Yeah, this is, I, I think kids this age are in a much more high stakes social environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I see this even with my nine year old now, almost nine year old. Um, I see him kind of straddling two worlds of friendships uh-huh. um, that probably are not going to be compatible. Yeah. As he yep. gets older, I hope that he can make it so, and I hope his his group of friends can. But, um, you know, in, in this age, they really start to look at who do I belong with and what does that mean that I belong with this person, uh-huh. family included. Right. Um, and we talked a little bit in the previous episode about um, why kids start to gravitate to friends more than family at this age, and a lot of that can have to do with the availability of the parent. I think, I think a lot of that, too, is... How well is my identity, the identity I'm starting to understand, reflected in my family? Do I feel like I have a place in my family? I remember being, well, I was always, as a kid, I always wrote in my journal, right? I just did. And I read back through some of them, and I wrote a lot of, like, insignificant, not meaningful stuff at all, right? There have been times I'm like, oh, please tell me you didn't. And I turn the page, and I'm like, oh, you did. Okay, (laughs) you did that. You said that. Um, But... I, there was also a page in which I was writing how, like, it was so easy to be nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but 10 was not easy. No. And I really was not enjoying 10. And mm-hmm. something about that, like, and I, I had written, I don't know if it's because it's double digits, but 10 is not easy. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote that as a 10-year-old? Yeah. That is that is so witty. Right? That, that was my, maybe it's just this double digit thing, but I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of um, quote-unquote work stress that kids at this age bring mm-hmm. home. And it may not be directly related to go, what's going on with the family. It may be completely unrelated, and it may be a different version of uh-huh. what's going on with the family. So my, my first piece of advice here is that if you are in a committed partnership and you're raising children... Um, This is where Jack and I will talk to couples about having um, stress resiliency within the marriage because life is going to be stressful. Uh And if we can see those stresses as external to the system and not something that gets in between us, we're much more resilient and much more able to cope with it. And I think that applies on a larger family level too. Um, We have to have some resiliency within the family when it comes to stress. Otherwise, the stress that your children bring home from school is now going to set the agenda for the stress level in the Mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. And that can really compound things for kids um, when when the family absorbs their stress rather than helps them to hold it and be resilient to it. Yes. There will also be, I think, more... So than others, I often say, you know, that trauma happens to everybody. And if it doesn't happen early in life, no one gets through junior high without that. And this is pretty much going to take us through those middle school, junior high years. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
and so it's going to trigger your own issues, mm-hmm. right? It, and and we talk often, John and I will talk, and we'll talk about this with our clients and in our groups. Like, you cannot project your childhood or your teen years onto your children. I think we've said that every episode with every <laughs> stage, and that is so key. Yes. And so these, these things, like we talked about, bodies are going to change. We're going to remember our own insecurities and maybe our own body image issues that came up during those mm-hmm. years, whether we were underweight or we were overweight or what, you know, you're never the right weight during these years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always those feelings about that. And, and I, I know in talking to other parents, just as friends and stuff, um, they they feel this pressure to have their kids be thin. Mm-hmm. They have this. Pr- they feel this pressure to have their kids be popular. Mm-hmm. They have. They feel this pressure to have their kids um, look good. Mm-hmm. And during this phase, that's just not all going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you've got to understand why you have those issues, and that that's mm-hmm. coming from you not feeling popular enough, or you not feeling thin or right or whatever that looks like. You know, maybe your legs were too long or too short or whatever. And you have to recognize and say, no, that's not mine, or mm-hmm. that is mine, and I'm not giving it to mm-hmm. them. So you can you can never take that for granted, um, that you don't know what's going on with your child. So communication is really, mm-hmm. really important. Um, we're, we're working with my oldest right now on the importance of daily hygiene. Uh. And I'll often say to him, like, you don't want to be the stinky, you don't want to be the B.O. kid in class. Right. Um, you don't want to be the kid whose breath always stinks. And so, you know, I'll, I'll talk to him like you brush your teeth twice a day, make sure you're drinking enough water. Um, and some of that comes from my experience of, like, realizing I had terrible breath one day at school and just feeling like the world was going to end. Mm. Um and there's also another part of that where as you talk to your children and get to know, like, how do you experience this? Like, I've talked to him about, like, w- have you ever noticed that, like, your armpits get a little ripe? And he's like, oh, yeah, but I thought the smell just hung out here. And he's pointing <laughs> to, like, his armpit. I'm like, well, no, because I smelled it across the room just now. <laughs> um, but as, as we talk to them about their awareness and what that means to them, we can really start to help them figure out what they want to do about it. And it, it, it will put habits in place or it'll put perspectives in place that can actually have some longevity for them uh-huh. because it'll be meaningful to them. Right. Not something we're trying to transpose onto them. So um, when in doubt, talk to your kid about how they feel about it. Yeah. Um, talk to them about what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would say, listen about five times longer than you think you need to before you tell them your experience. Right. Right. If you tell them at all, right. Mm -hmm. You may just kind of share the wisdom or something from your experience. Um, because I think it's also important for those kids to feel like they have their own experience and it's not always trumped Mm -hmm. by mom or dad's experience. Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of parental shame going to this, this piece, that's something that you're going to want to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, because, from a shame place, we can be known to really underdo it or completely overdo it. Uh-huh. Um, and getting it just right depends a lot on your capacity to hear what your child's actually saying. Yeah. I, I would also say just normalizing some of this, mm-hmm. right? That I, I would say to my kids, everybody feels this way. I mm-hmm. mean, they don't talk about it, mm-hmm. right? Because that's so embarrassing. But everybody's feeling this. Everybody's body is changing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, I think it's also a, you see, you know, probably at like 11 and 12, 
the way that they do relationships changes, mm-hmm. right? Up until that point, maybe they hung out or not hung out. Maybe they played, mm-hmm. right? Like with my kids, they'd play dolls or they'd play school or they'd play like, and all of a sudden there came a time in which they knew they were too old to do that, mm-hmm. but they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so they just kind of would not do stuff with friends, mm-hmm. right? Which then caused problems because mm-hmm. often for my kids, you know, I'd get phone calls from other moms saying, you know, your daughter's leaving my daughter out. They used to hang out all the time. She's always home. I'm like, uh, yeah, mine's on the couch. Mm-hmm. Like she's not off with this new found friendship. Like, you know, it's just this like, yeah, they, they haven't quite figured this mm-hmm. out yet. And you can help make that easier by saying, yeah, so you kind of do this, you know, or here's some suggestions that you do. Mm-hmm. But they feel that like I'm growing up and those things I have to kind of put away or do in a different way. Yeah. Transitions are hard and they're never an overnight thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I remember having a friend up until he was probably 15 when he called, he'd be like, can you play? And he meant it. (laughs) Like it wasn't just like this goofy thing that he did. And um, like that that transition can take different amounts of time for different kids, but play is also important for them. So, right. um, again, if you're concerned with what looks popular and what looks cool, you may stifle your child's desire and innate ability to play. So, right. like, let them learn from that transition. Uh-huh. Um, put put in put in advice and perspective um, judiciously, um, but really let that transition be theirs. Uh-huh. Um, because that again, that will that will put something on board with them that makes sense. Right. That will that will help them align with an experience of their own rather than a set of rules external to them. And you know, we've done plenty of episodes of all sorts of different stripes and colors on what those rules that are external to you do to you mm-hmm. when you're trying to make that who you are. Yeah. Um, a big thing that we talked about too in preparation for this episode is just body image and body awareness mm-hmm. at this age. Um. It's awful. It is awful. (laughs) It is awful. Um, Yeah, because... So I I was just talking to a client a couple of weeks ago um, about some fantasy that he has going on just about all the time, everywhere he goes. And um, up to this point, he's wanted to make it just this, I'm a horrible addict and this is what I do issue. And as we have dived in more to what this is made up of... um, I think a big part of this this puzzle is he's actually a really good product of how advertising works mm. in our society. Mm. Um, he's taken every message hook, line, and sinker, and he's probably an ideal consumer um, because he does that. But it's also wrecked how he sees himself and how he sees his spouse and how he sees uh-huh. other people. And at this age, I think children start to um, develop a lot more of that self-awareness you know, it goes beyond like you can put a mark on my face and I look in the mirror and know that that's my face. Uh-huh. And it's really looking at like, well, if this means this out in the world, then this means this about me. And they can actually start tracking that yeah, and formulating some of those thoughts. So when it comes to our bodies and the way that that works, um, kids this age, I think, are really susceptible to messages. And if we're afraid of our own body image and mm-hmm. if we haven't made enough peace there to work with our kids, I think it will be really difficult to talk to them about, you know, what did you think about this Mm -hmm. that you saw Mm -hmm. or how did that make you feel? Yeah. I remember, and you know, I had all girls. And so one of the things I remember, all all of my girls went through this right around when they were hitting puberty, 12, 13, 14. 
and um, their bodies started to take on curves, and Mm -hmm. we have those in our family. And I think every one of my kids would say, I I don't want curves. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't like the curves, right? Mm -hmm. And I would say, and and they would, you know, they had friends, and they're like, I just want to be straight like them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, I want to be tall and straight too. Um, But I would say, okay, but like, look at my girl cousins and look at my sisters and, and there's just all kinds of different bodies, right? There's not just two kinds. There's not just the tall, straight and the curvy, like there's a lot of different bodies. And, you know, I wasn't a big reality TV person, but I remember, um, I think American Idol was kind of big during some of these years. And what I liked about that is you saw all mm-hmm. different types of bodies that you mm-hmm. wouldn't see in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. You would see, but because they were just real people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important, right? The other thing I didn't want to do is shame the straight, tall, mm-hmm. tall body type. Like, mm-hmm. that's there's nothing wrong with that. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with this. And, and all of the sh- shapes and sizes in between, right? And just pointing out to my kids and making them aware of like, look at how many body types they are. And look at how amazing and beautiful all Mm -hmm. of these people are, right? Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of different body types and this is yours. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So I want to ask you about this because I I don't have girls and I haven't had kids go through this phase. But um, I really appreciated what you said about not shaming the tall, skinny body type. And Uh I wonder what you think about that messaging that says well, this is going to be you because this is just our family. Like, and I think of, I think of conversations that I've heard between my wife and her sister. And it's really interesting to watch the two of them together because I, I think, um, well, I, I know my spouse has done a lot of work on accepting and loving herself. Uh-huh. And it's evident to me from my, my sister-in-law that she hasn't done a ton of that. Mm. Um, so to watch them talk when I hear this, like, well, this is just our family. This is our curse. Mm. Um, what, what do you think about that kind of talking yeah, about bodies? I don't know. Like, I didn't want to say to my kids, like, this is our curse, mm-hmm. even if I at times felt that mm-hmm. way, right? I mm-hmm. tried to not let them think that. It was just more like, this is our genetic makeup. Mm-hmm. And yes, at 14, we have hips, mm-hmm. and not everybody does. Or if they do have hips, they're not noticeable because they're still in the straight line, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would just say, like, this is this is our family. Like this Mm -hmm. is how we inherited things. Um, I remember talking to, I had a, I have a friend who is a, um, anthropologist, right. And I had this discussion with her once and I don't remember all the details, but she was talking about, um, like physical body traits of different Indian tribes, like from Alaska to wherever. Right. And, and why they had these traits. Right. And, and just talking to my kids, like, like our evolution has to do with where we come from. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's in our genes. Mm -hmm. Um, but because it's in our genes, it's helpful. Yeah. Right. And, and my kids would be like, "Mm." does not help me right now. (laughs) Right. In, you know, 1999 America. No, I don't Uh believe that. Right. But I'm like, but can you appreciate that there was something meaningful? And again, just, like, this is how our family looks, mm-hmm. um, and other families look differently, and there's just a lot of body types, mm-hmm. and I'm one type. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of value in celebrating all sorts of diversity mm-hmm. with these ages, because 
Um, we'd also talked about how the next phase is where they're really preparing to launch, and this is where we prepare them mm-hmm. to prepare to launch. And um, the next phase, they're really going to notice differences and feel like those differences are critical. Right. And I think when we start to set that stage where, like, this world is beautiful and diverse and there's differences, um, that's a good thing. Uh-huh. I think we set them up to be a little more immune to some of that, like, right. different is bad. And and even that goes back to what we were talking about, like, with all the body changes, right? I mean, to, to navigate, you know, for four daughters who are going to go through menstruation and to talk to them about that and the way that you approach that has something to do with how they Mm -hmm. carry that forward, right? Mm -hmm. And I would imagine it's similar with boys Mm -hmm. and their, you know, voice changing Mm -hmm. or, you know, how their shoulders change or or don't at the right time, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's just um, ways that we can approach that that makes them okay as they can be, as okay as they can be with the changes they're going through to get from a kid to an adult. Yeah, no, I I think there's a big correlation to the emotional side of recovery here. And um, I I would say at some point I hear this from probably 75% of my clients where they'll say this whole addiction and recovery thing is like the best thing that has ever happened to Mm. me. And sometimes they'll follow that up with, I would never say that to my spouse who I cheated on (laughs) and who I betrayed and and traumatized, but... And I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) Right, but they'll say like, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me and I I would say if if you're struggling with what we're saying right now about accepting bodies and diversity and things like that um, you may want to do some examination around why hasn't this felt like a gift for you yet right what would it take for this to feel like a gift mm-hmm. um, because I, I do think that that's one of the things that recovery can equip us with um, to, to make us very effective partners and parents and all of that is this, just this sense that it's all a blessing. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's an incredibly valuable mindset to be able to start to model for mm-hmm. our children. Mm-hmm. And at this age to really start to explicitly challenge for them some of that automatic negative or not so useful thinking right. that we're all prone to. Yeah, I, I would go along with that with the emotional pieces, right? I mean, this is where... Uh, bullying really takes on a new flavor if mm-hmm. that's going to happen. And I think you can't be naive to think my kid wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got to be having conversations about that. And, um, you know, in, in some ways I see these ages with their peers as a um, every, every man for themselves, mm-hmm. right? And so that mean behavior can come out. And unless you can kind of sit down and talk with them about how do you think that made them feel Mm -hmm. and how is that going to impact the relationship Mm -hmm. and what's your part and what can Mm -hmm. you do, they can start grasping that. Mm -hmm. And they can, I I just think it starts to give them an emotional intelligence that they're ready for Mm -hmm. that some 40-year-olds don't have. Yeah, which which are great, great life skills. Um, I've been reading the uh, Smart Family and Friends material, and Mm -hmm. there's a quote. I'm going to butcher the quote, but it said something like, um, when we can accept responsibility for our own behaviors, thoughts, feelings, um, we're far less likely to be manipulated by another person. And so that personal accountability piece, not that every mistake is you, but even that, like, what's your impact on other people? Right. And how do you think that made them feel? And what did you notice? Like, that's part of... I think what makes our kids resilient to 
messages outside of them yeah. that may not be so useful to them. Yeah. I remember my oldest once, you know, we had one of those conversations, you know, and so she just kind of threw herself on the sword and was like, I'm a horrible person, right? And wrote this letter and brought it to me. I'm going to send him this letter. And I was like, okay, whoa, whoa. Like, first of all, you just forgot to show up. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not that big of a deal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I want you to, to notice how it felt, but you weren't intentionally being mean. Like, so so can you recognize that impact that you have on other people without kind of making yourself into a horrible person? Yeah, yeah. And, and where is that balance, right? And I think helping them through these years kind of keep this bottom line of who mm-hmm. I am is okay. Mm-hmm. So remember a lot of what we're talking about today, this is not disconnected from work that you've been doing in your recovery right. or work that you have an opportunity to do in your right. recovery. Right, because recovery is helping you mm-hmm. also grow up in ways that you didn't get to as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really think that's one of the most valuable gifts that recovery has given me is um, I, I know a bit more than I came to adulthood with um, uh-huh. I know a bit more about what it takes to grow up responsibly and equipped and um, that came through the work that I did in recovery and that's something that I can very deliberately and explicitly work on giving my children mm-hmm. absolutely um, there's one last point here that I have um, which is the physical and sexual development starts uh-huh. um, for for some of your children this can even start as early as like eight mm-hmm. um, where they'll start to mature Um, I would just put in a plug here if there's anything that makes you squeamish about your own sexuality or sexuality in general or physical development, please work on that. Mm -hmm. Your your children need someone who's confident and calm when it comes to these kind of changes um, or they're going to go and seek information elsewhere. Right. They'll they'll go to a resource that doesn't make them feel awkward when they ask Mm -hmm. questions or when things Mm -hmm. come up, when situations come up. Um, Yeah, I... My approach with all of my kids on this, right? Like, I remember when I was going to have the talk with my daughter, and and I said to her, you know, we're. I mean, we had had some discussions going up, right? But this is the talk where you had the pre-contract negotiations, right? But this is where you've <laughs> got to put all the dots together, and they will never be the same, right? right. Like all of a sudden, they're going to clue into things that before went right over their head. And so I said, you know, we're going to have this talk, and you know, with all of your sisters, uh, we went out to lunch and we had these conversations. And I said, and, you know, all of them have had these conversations. And so, you know, we could go just you and me. That's the way I did it with your sisters. Or we could go all five of us mm-hmm. and we could all go have that conversation. And she was like, yeah, I want to go all five of us. Right. And my other girls were like, I don't want to go. I'm not her mother. <laughs> right? I had my turn. I don't want to do it twice. And I was just like, yeah, no, no, no. This is like, this is something. And I do think uh, we have, as a society, we've lost connection with the rituals that we used to go through that brought meaning to this awkward phase, mm-hmm. right? Whether that was for boys going out and being with men and doing men stuff versus mm-hmm. little boy stuff, whether it's for women and having some celebratory rituals about menstruation, which yes, we can talk about why we would never celebrate that, but it's also, it is a celebration, yeah. right? Like there are things about our body that are very amazing and, and can we do that in connective ways and in ways that I, I have to say, I, you know, just having four girls and then having their friends, I, I've given those talks to a lot of girls, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of like, well, this is what you need to do. And, and I am sometimes surprised at like, how do you not know this? Like mm-hmm. you're 15 years old and mm-hmm. I'm the one 
giving this instruction, like more detailed than I'd prefer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that can't be something that we neglect because of our own awkwardness. So mm-hmm. like you said, if you're awkward or squeamish um, or even think, because um, I, I had neighbors who would say, I didn't think I was awkward. But then when I started talking about it, my kids were like, I don't want to talk about this. You're too awkward. Right. And and I think it's because they, they don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And they thought they could, like, intellectually, mm-hmm. like, give them factual information from a book. But that's not all we're delivering. Well, and, and so this can be a really great op- opportunity to utilize some of those recovery supports and networks that you have. Like, you might want to give this a dry run with mm-hmm. another adult. Right. And just see, what is my comfort level? Talk when to your these, friends. Talk to your recovery people. Yeah, when these words actually start coming out of my mouth, what comes up for me? Uh-huh. Um, I was in a session recently where this client of mine, no less than five times, said, this is so weird for me to talk about. Uh, we, we just started uh-huh. talking about the sexual relationship in in their marriage. And um, it, he he just kept saying, this is so weird. This is so weird. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, I'm glad you're noticing that. And um, I'm glad we're talking about it then. And hopefully each time we talk about it, it will become less weird. Uh-huh. Um, and he said, I'm really, really looking forward to that because this is actually a part of my life that I really enjoy. And I'm glad that it's working. And I don't <laughs> want to feel that weird I about talk it. about it. I had a couple, this was a while ago, and I was first kind of working with them in marital sessions. And they were talking about something and I knew they knew what they were talking about, but I really was clueless. And uh-huh. I'm like, I, I don't, I, and I've got to help this, right? And I really, and so I did finally say, are we talking about sex? <laughs> and they both blushed, right? I mean, these are 40-year-old people. Us. And they blushed and said, yeah. And I said, well, I mean, that's okay since you're sexually active with each other. But, like, is this how you talk about sex? <laughs> like, Because it's really vague. It's and I don't even really it's, know, it's you know. Working. And so we've had to do some work on just having more direct, vulnerable mm-hmm. conversations about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that'll do it for this episode. Yeah. Have a great end of the year, everybody, and we'll be excited to be back in 2019. At the end of this episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there is something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.